Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Um, today, again, we're very kindly joined by Alan Green. Thank you very much for joining us today, Alan. Thank you, Jonathan. Good to be back. Fantastic. So there is, there's a number of stocks that we're going to be talking about today. Some very exciting smaller companies yep. um, that we'll, we'll cover. But first of all, we'll touch uh, a household name, um, one of the most widely held shares by UK individuals, and that's Lloyd's, Alan. Um, up about 3% on the day, but the figures are not looking particularly Good. If you're looking at the profitabilities, what 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 are you looking at there? Is the main reason for that? Well, as ever, Jonathan. I mean, the the uh, we we've got a 26% fall in pre-tax profits to 4.4 billion because the bank paid out two and a half billion on PPI. I mean, it's the, the amount of payouts on PPI are quite staggering because I'm sure all of us can remember getting getting uh, uh, contacts through. 10 years ago about yeah. PPI, you can claim PPI, here's the date, here's the cutoff date, you know, it's all going to end then, and then, and then it seems to roll on and roll on. So, yeah, the, the banks are still paying out huge amounts of money, and of course you've got these agencies that have been set up that are organising your PPI claim for you, and clearly if you can go back and find the paperwork, as they say, where there's blame, there's a claim. That's <laughs> it, exactly, yeah, so I mean, it was supposed to stop last year, but that's been carrying on even... The beginning of 2020, it's still hitting earnings of, of mm. Lloyd's, and I'm sure that the other banks will have uh, have similar issues, maybe not to the extent of Lloyd's, but I'm sure there'll be some mention of PPI there. Do you think, sort of looking at the banks and the process that they've gone through in the last 10 years, do you think they'll ever get back to what they were pre-financial crisis in terms of investment, or do you think they're a completely different animal now and should be viewed as such? That's a very good question, Jonathan. And I can remember, I mean, this goes back pre-financial crisis, uh, when I was running a website called Share Crazy, my erstwhile colleague Malcolm Stacey uh, swore by the banks. He said you could almost set your set your watch by them because you, you could buy them at certain times of the year, uh, they go extended and you dump the stock and then you go back in once the stock fell. And the charts were almost like clockwork. Since then, we've had PPI, obviously the credit crunch, which had a huge impact. We've had PPI, we've had dark pools, we've had all sorts of issues. And the, the banking sector does seem to be stumbling from one crisis to another. So whilst the PPI, to an extent, they have drawn the line in the sand now. You've had the cutoff date, I think it was last year. Yeah, no, August time, I think it was. August last August. year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in theory, this should be should mark the end of PPI mm. claims. So, if you add two and a half billion onto profits next year, if they're moving up, then the banks could have a much better year. Will they become investable again, or such um, great investments as they were pre pre credit crunch? Um, I, I can't see that happening. But in a oh, world of increasing I regulation agree. and margins getting cut ever tighter, I think it's hard for banks to make a profit. It is difficult. I mean, I think they're probably going to be more income generating, maybe not the growth uh, animals that we that we previously thought them as. Um, but, you know, if they're able to sustain the profitability, they could be seen more of a utility type stock. If, you know, they keep able to keep steady cash flows, yeah. they've got very strong capital levels. So it's going to be interesting to see how they perform through the next downturn. That's probably going to be the... Uh, We've also got decentralisation as well, haven't we? All of the uh, the branches are being closed. Uh, your local branches are being closed, so you have to go to the big towns now. Um, so th these are cost cutting measures, and of course, as we go 
we're all online now, so a lot of banks will just adopt that model. Uh, Metrobank obviously is going the other way, and that's not without its problems too, as we know. Mm. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's hard to call, but uh, I think there's probably better money to be made elsewhere. Exactly. So one of those things that may be uh, seen as, as uh, a place to put your money at this point in time is gold. We're seeing gold strengthen, and and actually in the last couple of days, it's something you don't usually see because we're seeing the dollar and gold actually strengthen at the same time. Usually you do see an inverse relationship there, but there's definitely some strength in gold that we're seeing. And there's one company that you're looking at, isn't there, within the gold sector at the moment? Yes, well, well it, it's a tiny company. I, I mean, there, there are, um, it, we've actually just written an article on this uh, with a client about, about the strength in the gold price. And of course, sadly, when we're seeing coronavirus wreak havoc across China and the world at the moment, and of course, it's having an impact, a knock-on effect into the stocks and the companies that are supplying China, because China's now something like seventeen percent of the global GDP, which is it's, it's huge, significant, country. very yeah. significant. So, so any any impact there is going to have a huge knock-on effect. So, as always, in in a, uh, gold is the place to be in a in a time of crisis, and um, we're seeing gold now at sixteen hundred dollars a troy ounce, and uh, you know it could push higher. It's 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 very possible. So um, as a result of that, there's a lot of renewed interest in the junior mining sector. And um, I'm just picking out uh, this one company at the moment. There are others that I will talk about in the coming weeks. But this is a company called Tertiary Minerals that hitherto was known for Fluor Spa. And I won't go into details of what Fluor Spa is, but I will just cover their assets quickly. The Epico is TYM. And this company has a tiny market cap of $1.7 million at the moment. Um, and it was... Uh, uh, it's become notorious in the, over the past 24 hours for flying up from 0.2p to 0.8p. and uh, Huge move. Yeah, huge move. And then back down again the following day. The reason behind that largely is that um, a company which uh, lent uh, the uh, tertiary money to basically progress its gold projects in Nevada um, decided to sell some of its shares into the market. Um, and of course, that, 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 those, that sale took place along with some great news about the fact that the Pyramid Project, um, they were progressing, they'd appointed contractors to start this oil sampling and to start the drilling. So it, it's an exciting time. Just very quickly to go over this, um, Pyramid Project that Tertiary owns in Nevada. Now, Nevada is one of the, the top, it's the fifth largest gold producer in the world. Five and a half million ounces of gold uh, produced in 2018 alone, and um, the uh, the Walker Lane Gold Belt is where Tertiary have the the, the pyramid project, and the uh, the the uh, the project area shares geological analogies with multi-million ounce Fire Creek and Midas gold mines. Okay, so, so you know it's actually it's in good company. It's in very good company. So they're progressing this. Uh, that's why the share price shot up yesterday. Um, but aside from this, behind the scenes, Tertiary was initially known as a fluorspar company. And fluorspar is a critical mineral that's used in smelting, optics, all sorts of uh, applications. Um, suffice to say that across the three projects they have, they have over 100 million tonnes of fluorspar in the ground. And when you consider that fluorspar is selling for $400 a tonne, 
you get some idea that if the project's uh, optimised, if it's taken forward, um, and if they develop those mines, then there's a lot of stuff on the ground. I mean, where, where do you think the sort of major revenue is going to be coming from? Is it going to be the floor spa, or do you think it's going to be the, the gold no, that they're looking at? floor spa is very much longer term, but, yeah. you know, that, that's an asset that the company has. And, you know, we, 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 we've got a company with a market cap of 1.7 million currently with these sort of assets. But the the um, because of... Gold's where it's at at the moment, as as we said earlier. Um, the pyramid project's really exciting, and given that it's in such a, a fertile area for gold, I'm you know I'm I'm very excited about what the coming on. Yeah, very, very exciting um, times. So, and I think you know some people buy physical gold, some people go to bullion vault and buy buy it online. But I think the uh, a lot of people like to speculate on junior mining stocks like this because when they have a great gold project in a well-established area. Uh, and they find it, you know, it's the sky's the limit. Yeah, exactly. So, and just remind us what the ticker was, so anyone listening that would like to check them out. Okay, the epic code is TYM. Um, the shares have traded as high as 0.9p and as low as 0.18p, currently trading at 0.4p as we record this podcast. Okay, fantastic. So, um, that's tertiary minerals there, do, do check them out. Uh, and just moving on, there's another one within the resources sector. Um, which is one I know that you've been paying particular interest to, and that is Kibo Energy. Kibo Energy, yeah. So Kibo Energy, they're, they're operating in Africa. Uh, they do have some operations here in the UK. They do. Now, in the, the current climate of people looking for sustainable investment, they are actually operating coal, but they do have another area of the business as well, which they're making progress in. Where... Are they in terms of the sort of transition? Where are their sort of major operations going to be going forwards, do you think? Okay, well, well that's you, you, you raised an interesting point there. It's sustainable energy and then coal. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the two don't really go hand in hand. But they have they have three projects in Africa, uh, Kibo, um, which in Tanzania, Botswana and Mozambique. And these are these are coal power projects, clean coal, if there is, if there is such a thing. But... Uh, as I think the CEO Louis Kutsi has explained on a number of occasions, um, when you're working in Africa, you need to generate power. Coal is the, really, the most readily available source that there is. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a letter to shareholders recently, Louis said, in the short to medium term, clean coal projects must continue to play a key role. But in the mid to longer term, uh, Kibo has taken on the challenge for sustainable um, energy and. Uh, and moving to take its projects towards a, a sustainable source. In that regard, it has a it has a flexible power project. It owns sixty percent of Mast Energy Developments here in the UK. Has a power station that they that is shortly to be commissioned at Bordesley um, in the UK. Uh, it's on track for commissioning in quarter two, and will start to generate revenues in quarter two. Now, clearly. Um, there's we, we don't have too much detail at the moment about the sort of uh, revenues that that will produce. But again, um, as we looked at with Toshi just now, this is a company with multiple projects in mm-hmm. in a number of different areas. Great assets, all of them. Um, but actually, it's closer to cash generation than probably even Toshi is. Okay, fantastic. So I mean, it's again one of those companies that I think made the realization that existing operations in coal probably aren't going to be the the way forward i mean is um, i mean they have made some comments recently that this is going to be maybe a technology they have in the uk which they will be then taking over to to africa um do you think that's something that 
will replace their coal operations there or do you think it will, it will work alongside and then you, you probably start seeing the phase out of the coal going forward? I think you're absolutely right there, Jonathan. I think the two will go hand in hand simply because um, a, lot of the, a lot of the territories in Africa are so remote. Um, coal is the only readily available source of power. But once, once the power is up and running, then, of course, they can integrate that and they can, they'll probably... As you say, that they'll probably build them alongside, fund them together, and then as the sustainable plant develops and builds and its uh, its generation capability improves, um, they'll probably make the switch. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's it, that that's some way off clearly. But um, but I think um, everyone's very excited to see what Ford is going to do when it's commissioned in quarter two. Exactly. Yes, yeah. some very exciting times ahead for both of those uh, those companies there. Indeed, indeed. So that was uh, Alan Green. Thank you very much for joining us again, Alan. Thank you, Jonathan. Good Fantastic. To be so that was the UK Investor Magazine podcast. As we mentioned at the start, it's also available on the UK Investor Magazine um, app, which is available to download through the Android and iOS, uh, iOS um, Play Store. Thank you very much.